Hey guys, just want to give a quick disclaimer before this episode, we are doing Michael Jackson Thriller. Um, we don't really touch on the allegations towards Michael Jackson, but we do want to just let you guys know we believe all the survivors and we have some links to resources in our bio and at the start of the video here if you guys are going through anything. If you do want to look more into you know what's been accused of Michael Jackson, Leaving Nether Neverland is a great documentary to watch. Um, you know, you kind of learn more of what happened and you can make your own opinions and decisions on what happened uh, like i said we support all the survivors and we thank you for listening hello and welcome to misfits on vinyl my name is spencer strikert i am one of your hosts i am aaron walsh i am also one of your hosts aaron is an actor no i am not aaron is an actor <laughs> Uh, Aaron is actually, uh, uh, he booked a big role and he's not going to be on the next episode of the podcast. Yeah, I'm going to the tropical city of Ottawa, Ontario. Ottawa, Ontario. Mm -hmm. So yeah. I'll be missing an episode, maybe two, I'll see. All right. Mm -hmm. And we, we do have an awesome uh, 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 sub guest coming in. Yeah, we got some surprises coming your We got way. some surprises coming <laughs> Sorry, in. I can't take you seriously. I, I know. It's really hard to uh, it's really hard to even have a conversation with this thing on because it keeps moving as I talk, and then that's fucking up my eyes. But we are wearing this because this is our Halloween extravaganza. Yeah, this is our Halloween extravaganza. I spent that's... I spent eight fifty at Dollarama yesterday on these masks, <laughs> so the budget has expanded. Um, I we was are moving up. Thinking about getting uh, an inflatable pumpkin costume, mm -hmm. like you know those pumpkin costumes that people put their babies in. When they take some trick-or-treating. <laughs> yeah, I do. Yeah, I was going to get one of those, but like an adult-sized one. Mm -hmm. uh, but I wasn't willing to spend $83 on a gag for the podcast. Fair enough, fair enough. That's <laughs> how much we value our listeners. I'm not willing to spend $83, <laughs> but we'll spend $4 a piece. Yeah, one thing One thing I will say, Sam is dressed the best out of all of us. Yes, yeah, <laughs> Sam has the best costume out of any of us. He's got like a wicked hammerhead shark costume on. He looks fucking awesome, I and mean, we're, we're wearing dollars. <laughs> the specials. <laughs> Sam's got like a hundred dollar fucking hammerhead shark costume on. But you know what I will say? We did pick a consistent animal theme. That's true. That's We're true. all animals. <laughs> Alright, I'm taking this fucking thing yeah, off. Yeah, I gotta, I gotta do this because, well, first of all, we need to do that so that we can actually have our beers too. Oh That's, yes, what are we drinking today? Uh, so we are drinking from Cabin Brewing. Shout out to Cabin Brewing. Mm -hmm. uh, Chroma, which is a hazy citra IPA with phantasm. Ooh, it's 8% alcohol. 8% alcohol. Holy Sam fuck. is trying to get us fucked up. Sam also, uh, he, he crafted this beer. We're mm. cracking these. <laughs> he's the uh, brewist. He's the brewist. All right. Pouring he's... into our mugs, of course. All right. Our, uh, our beautiful uh, record mugs brought oh. to us by Aaron's girlfriend, Sarah. I like this tradition, drinking beer every Saturday at 1 o'clock. <laughs> you know what? I like this tradition, too. I like the tradition of day drinking with my friends. Mm -hmm. oh. I like it because um, I'm not doing it alone now. <laughs> <laughs> Sam is no longer drinking alone on a Saturday afternoon, which right. is why we did this podcast in the first place. Cheers. Cheers. I love how that sounds every time. Mm -hmm. mm. Ooh, it's very citrusy. That, that slaps. Mm -hmm. That's a good one, Sam. That you know what Sam told me before we started the podcast that this tasted like juice, and it really does. It does taste like this. the phantom. The phantasm. What's it called? Phantasm. 
Phantasm is like a type of grape skin, he was saying. It fucking slaps. That See, thing is super tasty. I thought that Phantasm, uh, I just remember from the Mike Tyson M- Mysteries episode where they where they have the Phantasm. Phantasm? Phantasm. <laughs> I can't do a, I can't do a Mike Tyson. Phantasm. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty good. I'm going to fuck was, you up. That's might be your best one yet, actually. Listen, you son of a bitch, I'll fucking bite your ear off. Yeah, all right. You can leave it at that before it starts getting bad. <laughs> Knowing your impression skills. My impressions are great. Mm-hmm. I can read. So Halloween extravaganza. Uh, Halloween a, extravaganza. We got a couple Halloween stories, I guess, to start off the episode. We do have a couple Halloween stories. Um, I uh, Halloween is actually it's interesting um, because uh, well, it's interesting for a lot of reasons. Yes, not just for me. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> for me personally, Halloween for me is interesting. No, Halloween is quite enjoyable. Mm-hmm. No, um, so uh, my very first high school party was a Halloween party that I crashed when I was in grade eight. Nice. And it was so much fun. Uh, me and a couple of buddies, we were hanging out with a teacher friend of ours. Uh, we were at his place, like, playing, uh, like, Wii Sports. Uh, and then we heard that there was a party. And me and my one buddy, who, uh, he he eventually became my roommate. I'm going to change all of the names in this story so that people don't get <laughs> in any shit, because a lot of these people have kids and families now. Um but my my one friend will call him uh, Brendan, mm. uh, Brendan Fraser. Uh, yes, Brendan Fraser. Yes. Uh, he was like, "Oh, we should totally go to this party." I was like, "Yeah, this would be great." We go and we stand outside of the party, and we're too afraid to go in, so we're just standing on the front <laughs> lawn. And then uh, I saw this friend of mine, uh, whose name will be Zeke for the rest of this story. Nice. Uh, Zeke comes out. He's dressed as a hippie. Uh, and he, uh, I didn't know, was on mushrooms, and that was the first time I saw a human being on drugs in my life, because I grew up in a small town, (laughs) (laughs) and, uh, uh, Zeke was kind of like, uh, he was kind of like a big brother to me, like, he lived, like, at the farm right beside mine, and so him and I got into, like, all kinds of shit growing up, but he was a few years older than me, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, anyway, Zeke comes out, and he's, he's talking to us, and, and we, uh, (laughs) we end up, like, going into the party, and immediately when we get into the party, everyone's just like, what the fuck? Because it's like everyone from the age of 16 to 27 is just at this party <laughs> because, of course, they are. Like, it's a small town, high school party. So that means that, like, 27-year-olds are <laughs> Everybody just goes. Yeah, everybody goes. Go. Yeah, makes sense. And uh, I had three beers that night. Nice. Uh, three beers. Uh, it was it was fantastic. Uh, we uh, – I uh, watched as people egged a house. Mm-hmm. I did not Classic partake. shenanigans. Classic Halloween shenanigans. Did you smash some pumpkins too? Uh, no, I did not. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I, I, was a, I was really afraid of getting in trouble as a kid. Nice. I was really fucking afraid of getting <laughs> in trouble. Now you don't give a fuck about anything. Yeah, well, now I wouldn't do dumb shit like that. Yeah, fair either. enough. But, like, uh, I, I watched as this happened, and then Zeke was running down the street, and I saw uh, – I was talking to a few other people, and uh, Zeke was running down the street, and some, like, redneck guys I was standing with were like – Man, what the fuck's your deal? And he's like, I'm on shrooms! <laughs> and it's still one of the funniest things I've ever seen. Nice. Uh, yeah, he also, like, uh, rolled around on the ground a bunch. I thought the drugs were a lot different, mm. because it turns out that just hillbillies are not good at doing That's drugs. That's one of those you, you kind of had to be there stories. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I realized that that went sorry, fucking nowhere. Sorry to kill your vibe there, bro. It's one of those, you kind of had to be there stories. Speaking of being there, we have one we could share that we went to together. We, Jesus Christ. <laughs> you let me go on, too. I fucking, oh. I know. I was waiting for something to happen. I was waiting for the punchline. And you gave us all the fucking details. Yeah. And then it went nowhere. It's no, like, it went nowhere. I think I was dressed up as Pamela Anderson, though. No, that's good. That's yeah. nice, at least. <laughs> <laughs> I had a nice pair of fake boobies. Nice. That's good. <laughs> Anyways, like, Some balloon tatas. <laughs> when we lived in the big T.O., uh, Spencer is still, I guess, a, a frat a frat member. Zeta Psi fraternity, baby. But we went to the the big, big frat house. on, Which like, is the oldest fraternity house in Canada. Yeah, on St. George Street. And they're having a big, big shaker. We show up super early. It's very early. <laughs> and, you know, hanging out, whatever. We I go into the smoking room where I'm smoking some weed, whatnot. And I don't know what you were at. I, 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 was, uh, I, was, I was smoking a little bit of the marijuanas. I was mostly drinking the brewskis. Yeah. and Because they had a keg. I was dressed up. You remember my my bogus ass fucking Halloween yeah. costume? I went. I took it. I took a dirty pizza box from Pizza Pizza and I cut a hole in it and stuck my face in. And then it. he put lipstick. Yeah, like, I drew pepperonis, pepperonis on, on my face. face. So I was a pizza for the party. I was Waldo. Yeah. Anyways, I was in this room for like a fucking hour and I come out. There was like no one there when we got there and I come out. And there's like fucking six hundred people in this house. <laughs> fucking people everywhere. And I was looking for you. I couldn't find you. Uh, I do a little walk around. <laughs> Every room is stacked full of people i'm fucking super baked out of my mind um anyways the night ends uh i throw up black in the urinal and, and i think we wrestled people outside is that the name we wrestled no people? that was that was a different different night. party okay yeah different that party. was a different party this was the one though where we were at the train station and i was so hammered that i was like leaning on uh i was leaning on uh the two ladies that were with us mm. and I, I i was basically not able to stand mm. And then we got on the train, and our train station was uh, out of service, and we had to walk like a mile. Oh, yeah, I remember we had to walk. Like, <laughs> fucking, you were hammered. Yeah, I remember I was we had to fucking walk. wasted. Yeah, up a hill too. That fucking yep. massive hill. I hate that hill. Yeah, fuck you, Saint Clair. I think we got McDonald's too, if I remember. We did correctly. get McDonald's. Yeah, nice. I do remember I got the fish fillet. Oh yeah, I think they probably made fun of you for that. Yeah, because I was at the time uh, a pescatarian. Mm. Anyways, we started this episode with two stories that went nowhere. <laughs> uh, speaking of the... Thank you for listening to this podcast. <laughs> yeah. I hope that you're enjoying two, it as two, much as our egos two, are. Two fucking lame stories today. Uh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> I know. And like a, a, a night when there should be a lot of things that we can talk about, and we absolutely just dropped the fucking ball. No. Um, I mean, I, I guess Halloween-wise, my dad, I think I told you this, uh, one year I dressed up as a Mexican when I was like... A, oh, no. Yeah. This is like I was very young. Um, and and my dad oh, drew no. on like a, a mustache. I carried around Morocco's oh, no. sombrero and wore like a tight vest with like these fucking belts on. Anyways, my dad posts the photo every year and I beg oh, him no. not to. I beg him not to. Oh, <laughs> like, it gets posted God. on my on my birthday every year like clockwork. So. I feel like we should insert the photos of our costumes <laughs> in the podcast. Were you at the party where they, I shaved my head? No, I don't know if I was there or not. Oh, yeah, that was a Halloween party. Oh, you know what? Maybe I... I'm, and I was wearing this costume. I don't know if I went really? to your Halloween ones. I think I went to your your New Year's party. Sam throws fucking wicked parties. Sam throws ragers at at his old house. They were fucking awesome. Kegs and fucking what do we play? Uh, what's that game you're playing where you're smashing the table? Ah, oh, fuck. The oh, honeycomb. Honeycomb. Yeah, yeah, honeycomb. Yeah. <laughs> there was one guy that would come and he'd be like honeycomb, 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 honeycomb. <laughs> 
I just remember getting fucked up at Sam's house, basically. <laughs> Took my first dab there at Sam's house. Like, fucking... Oh, God. My first dab fucked me up bad. Mm, I don't like them. I don't like dabs Not either. for me. Not no. for me. I, uh, I, I, I thought that I would be able to do it and then go longboarding with my buddies. No. And I did it, and then I got on the longboard, and I just went, I'm going home. No, I'm like, I like, like. Getting a little high. I don't like getting fucking stupid high. Yeah. No, it's not fun. Like, what's the appeal of getting so fucking high you can't even think straight? I, I hate that. And I, I don't I, I don't even like, like, I like being able to maintain a conversation. Mm-hmm. I like being in control. Yeah. I think when you're younger, you do stupid shit and you're just like, yeah, whatever. Yeah, people that take them every day and, like, go, go, go. They're like, I'm going to drive to the grocery store, and then I'm going to go to work. And it's like, Ugh. let me take 15 dabs. It's like, holy fuck, how do you function? I don't know how people can function and continuously smoke weed throughout the day. Yeah. No. I, I'm a, I'm a late-night smoker. <laughs> yeah, I like to smoke at night, too. I like to smoke really late at night. Mm-hmm. No, I'm not, like, a, like an all... I, at some points in my life, I certainly was an all-day every day. It's like, oh, I got to do laundry. <laughs> Better smoke a bowl. <laughs> got to, you know, got to walk outside. Got to tie my shoe. Better smoke a bowl. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody falls into that trap if you smoke weed on a regular basis, but now I've matured in my pot smoking. <laughs> my pot smoking abilities have matured. All right, well. Did you, did you <laughs> I've just been farting for like 30 seconds. Lovely, lovely. Um, oh, God. Um, so, uh, this episode of the podcast, we're going to be reviewing uh, a little known album. Mm. It's like. The guy is, you know, he was on the up and up. He was on the up and up. Can't say everybody's going to know this, so if, you, if you're not familiar, give it a listen. Yeah, um, it's definitely something that's worth listening to, uh, especially if you have not heard it yet. But the album that we're reviewing is... Michael Jackson's Thriller. <laughs> like the greatest selling album of all the, time. The greatest selling <laughs> album of all time. And uh, this is an OG print, too. This is my mom's copy. Oh, that's wicked. Um, nice. So I had a copy, and then I ended up selling it because my mom gave me this one, and I was like, yeah, this is way better. Um, yeah, uh, it is the... Uh, well, I guess we should just start talking about it. Um, I should probably turn it so that people can see it better. Nice. Uh, all right, so uh, greatest selling album of all time. It's Michael's sixth studio album. Uh, it was released November 30th, 1982. Mm-hmm. Uh, another album that came out that year, Prince's Purple Rain. Nice. Which is, again, another banger. I feel like if this had came out a year later, Purple Rain probably would have been uh, like bigger. Yeah, we should review Purple Rain at some point. Too. I would love to review I'm Purple Rain. I'm a big Rain. Prince fan. I, I, I love that album. Uh, yeah, so this is... Uh, Huge album, um, you know, we we've, uh, we mentioned best-selling album of all time. Um, it was produced by Quincy Jones, who, legendary producer, mm-hmm. uh, he's, the only thing he has not won is an Oscar, so he's got almost an EGOT, which is fucking <laughs> crazy. He's won, like, mo- like so many Grammys, uh, he's won a Tony, mm-hmm. uh, a ton of Emmys. Uh, because he, he scores films on top of being a, uh, an incredible producer. Uh, his arrangement for Sinatra's Fly Me to the Moon was the first song played on the moon. Oh, that's pretty cool. Which th- I thought that was a pretty fucking... I think he does Soul Bossa Nova as well, which is an awesome, awesome fucking track. Yeah! It's like the Austin Powers theme song. Yeah, and And he even made a cameo in Austin Powers in Goldmember. Because there's, in the intro sequence, they show him composing it, and then Austin Powers is like, Mr. Quincy Jones, everybody. <laughs> um, okay, so uh, this album, though, 
Michael Jackson wanted to create an album where every song was a killer. Mm. Seven singles cracked the top ten. And most commercially successful album of all time, like we've mentioned. But seven singles out of the nine songs on this album were top ten hits. Yeah. The only two that were not in the top ten were the only two that were not singles. Which is, you know... Maybe if they had put them out there, yeah, we would have had pretty pretty impressive album, like through and through. Um, yeah, pretty wicked, pretty fucking wicked. It's a uh, it's also impressive because it's a mix of pop and post disco and rock and R and B and like like every song feels like it has a different style to it. Like there's the it, like it it's it's weird because it's an album that is cohesive and you can listen to it front to back yep. and not get taken out. But there are very distinct genres that are well, which in is it. I think a testament to how freaking talented Michael Jackson was. Mm-hmm. Like just in general, like he not only is he singing on all these songs, but he's also got a huge, um, you know, he's involved in the production as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's very strong on his opinions on what he was doing. Um, I was reading actually with um, uh, Billy Jean, uh, Quincy Jones wanted to cut the intro a little bit and shorten it. Um, you know, the bass riff and all yeah. that stuff. And Jackson was staying strong and saying, no, not a chance, not a chance, not a chance. And that's, you know, a legendary song. Yeah. So little and, things like that, Michael, you, not everybody, you know, a lot of artists do that, but on these legendary songs to have that sort of, you know, influence on it. And, and especially at the time too, because this is still a time when like black artists were not given the same sort of respect that white artists mm-hmm. were. And, like, we mentioned this is his sixth studio album, but this is only his second solo album. Yep. His first solo album, Off the Wall, was a huge hit, and especially for a, for a like, black artist at the time, incredible hit. But he follows that up with this album, which, you know, you said, like, he's, he's able to tell Quincy Jones mm-hmm. no. Yeah, and, no, not and, a chance. And, like, that in and of itself is fucking insane. It's pretty cool. Um, okay, so... Speaking about the themes of the album, it's got a lot of uh, themes of paranoia, uh, the contradiction of his fame versus how he was perceived. Uh, he wanted to show a more sensitive side of himself, of himself and also speak of his fear of confrontation, but there's also a lot of emotional urgency to his to his mm-hmm. music. Um, Off the Wall felt way more happy. Yep. You know, this, this one, like, don't get me wrong, I can listen to almost any song on this and have a smile on my face. But you, if you actually break it down, you're like, oh, shit, there is some serious stuff going on in these lyrics. Well, it kind of, you know, it pre, like, a, this is kind of the pre to the rest of his sort of music touches on these sort of themes as paranoia. And mm. it also plays into, like, his odd behavior as a human being as well. <laughs> like, just some of the weird things he did and some of the, some of the stuff, like holding his baby on a balcony. <laughs> like, weird shit like that that he did, um, you know. Or so, taking his chimpanzee bubbles to Japan. Yeah, like, he's <laughs> he, he's a weirdo. Um, he's certainly an outsider, a weirdo. He's got a strange personality. He's an eccentric motherfucker. He certainly fucking is. But I also noticed, because I was watching... Watching a lot of interviews from him around that time, he wanted to be an artist. He did not want to be famous. No, and you can you can see that in a lot of his in his interviews. Like, there's one where uh, they ask him, like, "How do you come up with uh, such popular music?" And he has this answer that's like kind of funny, but he's like, "Well, I don't really think about it that much. I just think of it like you know how a painter looks at a blank canvas and then they create something." 
it's it's all about the creation. It's not about the the final final product. And I was like, that's actually pretty fucking mm-hmm. cool, especially because he was like twenty four at the yeah. time, right? So he's able to look at that and and granted, his whole life he's been put in the spotlight. Mm-hmm. Um, but he he said he's most comfortable when he's performing, and you can see that because in every interview he's very fucking uncomfortable. Yep. Yeah, and I think you know with a lot of artists, even with our experiences being actors or, you know, doing stage performances. So you are an actor. Uh, sometimes, you uh, are an it, actor. you know, you, um, like make me lose my train of thought. <laughs> Anyways, when you're, when you're performing uh, on stage, if you're comfortable with it, you know, you kind of take on a different persona, you get a different confidence, you get a, you know, you, you're comfortable. You might not be comfortable who you are as a person outside of the stage, but you're comfortable in a place where, you know, you shouldn't be comfortable. You're in mm-hmm. front of 500 people, you know, performing a play and you're oddly in like a Zen mode or you're very comfortable. Like he's performing to 30,000, 40,000, 50, yeah. 60,000 people. And he's in like a, you know, he's completely comfortable where maybe in his personal life, he wasn't very comfortable with who he was as a person, um, which well, is, which is interesting. But I think a lot of artists feel that way. And I think that, like like you say, like we both know people that are like that. Mm-hmm. And it's super creepy when you see people that are like that because it is, it is weird. There is, like – excuse me. Not that they are – like it's not that they're fucked up for thinking that way, but it's weird seeing that mindset. Yeah, well, someone could, like, be uncomfortable in a one-on-one conversation and then they get on stage and they're performing in front of, you know, even hundreds of strangers or 20 strangers and yeah. they're perfectly comfortable. It's it's a weird, weird juxtaposition, I guess. It's super fucking weird. I mean, I'm personally not comfortable performing for 20 strangers, but I'm comfortable performing in front of 500 strangers. Yeah, it's weird. <laughs> it's weird. It's, see, in performing sometimes, too, it's way more uncomfortable when you know people you know are going to be there. Oh, I hate Performing it. in front of strangers is completely, I could be I was, I'm a hundred percent fine, but I know like, oh, my sister, my brother's there, my parents or, you know, my friends, he throws you right for a loop. I used to love it. I used to love it when I was starting out and now I hate it. Now yeah, it, it makes me really uncomfortable when I know that people I know are there. I don't think I ever liked it personally. Yeah. It, yeah. It, do, it doesn't hype me up. It makes, no. me, it makes me more nervous. It also takes me out of whatever I'm doing because mm-hmm. I'm thinking like, where are they in the audience? Yeah. Uh, for instance, when I opened for Jim Jeffries, which everybody's been making fun of me for saying that I've done that uh, a lot. Uh, but uh, it's only because I keep fucking, like, people that are around me a lot hear me telling people that haven't heard this it's story It's like yet. when you went to that party and you're like, he introduced himself to everybody at the party. I'm Spencer Stryker and I'm a Canadian Comedy Award nominee. <laughs> Every single person. <laughs> like, like 100 people. I'm Spencer, I'm a Canadian Comedy Award nominee. I, I did do that. Yeah. Uh, but when I when I did that, uh, what I thought was really funny, I didn't realize that my parents were sitting like like I knew that they were in the front, mm-hmm. but I actually did not know where they were, and I intentionally did not look them out. Yeah. Uh, but after the show, Jim was like, "Your fucking parents, they fucking won't laugh at anything." <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, "Oh, I didn't know where they were." Yeah. Um. Okay. So, uh, going on to this album, uh, something that's really impressive is. Not only was Michael a talented artist and Quincy Jones a talented producer, they brought in literally the best uh, musicians to mm-hmm. uh, to be a part of this like recording. Uh, bass guitarist Lewis Johnson, who uh, worked with Donna Summers, Aretha Franklin, John Mellencamp, Barbara Streisand. Eddie Van Halen wrote yep. and recorded the guitar and beat it, mm-hmm. which is one of the most iconic guitar riffs of all yeah, time. Yeah, pretty freaking wicked that that was oh. Halen, man. Yeah, no, incredible. And then 
16-time Grammy winner David Foster, who's Canadian, uh, he did the synth on The Girl Is Mine. Nice. Uh, Jeff Porcaro, who was the drummer for Toto and Steely Dan, and the most recorded session musician of all time. That's pretty cool. Was also involved, and jazz trombonist Bill... Reichenbach Jr. I have I fucked up his name. <laughs> Reichenbach Jr. Uh, he worked with literally everyone from Dolly Parton to fucking Seal to John Mayer. Uh, he was uh, he was the tr- trombonist in 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 the album. That's pretty cool. So everybody that was in it I- involved in some way was actually top of their field. Yeah, that's pretty. I want to do a quick sidebar about Toto. The since we're speaking about the drummer uh, Rosanna. The starting drum for Rosanna, Ooh. he that's pretty fucking wicked. That is a wicked. Um, so I recommend <laughs> listening to their stuff <laughs> outside of uh, Africa. No, Africa is a weak song. Yeah, compared to their other stuff, I, I recommend listening to some of Toto's other tracks. Yeah, uh, Rosanna is very, very uh, happy, too. Mm-hmm. You listen to that song, and you're just like, oh! And hold the line. Oh! oh. <laughs> hold the line! <laughs> we'll be doing Toto. <laughs> Love is in our ways on time. No, no, no. <laughs> we'll be doing Toto. Don't you worry. Don't you worry. I love Toto. Okay, so uh, finishing the album. Uh, so we already talked about how each uh, song is a distinct style, mm-hmm. different genre influences. Um, Thriller the video, uh, which was highly anticipated, was played twice an hour on MTV to keep up with the demand. Uh, he revolutionized music videos. Mm-hmm. He really changed it because he wanted to make music videos that were actually like a short film and told a story. This is a turning point for MTV and for, I guess, music videos as an art in general. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, people like originally when music videos started to become popular, people started doing music videos. It was an afterthought. It's a, you know, a side thing. Um, it's very simple. Usually it's just the record. It's just a, you know, video of the band singing yeah. basically. And, you know, it, location whatever it may be there's no story involved there's not a lot of you know thought put into it like i said this is the big one that changed music videos it's 14 minutes long 14 the, minutes the original is 14 14 and a half minutes long i uh i watched it a couple of times like in mm-hmm. in prep for this and it's so funny because like first of all i can see why it was so popular yeah there's so much thought that went into that fucking video um, and I'm kind of going to, I guess, go off topic and, and give away my fun fact now, mm-hmm. because the director of the Thriller music video was John Landis, who is one of my favorite directors of all time. Uh, he directed Animal House, Blues Brothers, Coming to America. Uh, he's got, you know, just an insane filmography. And he had just come off of directing Blues Brothers, which has, uh, you know, everything in that movie. Like, mm-hmm. it's I, I will say this. It's not... It doesn't hold up as a comedy, and it's not because the jokes are dated. It's because, like, the timing of, like, late 70s comedies is very different from nowadays, yep. you know? Like, there, you could have a lot of space in it. But as a film, it's got everything that you'd want. It's got car chases. It's got dance numbers. It's got, you know, these insanely... Soul Man is an oh, awesome song. Oh, yeah. it's so, so good. Man. All the cameos? Are you kidding me? Like, mm-hmm. they, like it was incredible. And that, that movie has the record for the highest car budget because of the car chase scene at the end. <laughs> That's cool. Where they flip over all those cop cars. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so John Landis comes off of that and then directs a 14-minute long music video. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
I mean, in that time, he also killed three people on the set of the Twilight movie, but like, <laughs> you know, and, and, and by the way... It's a give way, and take. It's a give and take. By the way, I, I, I have to say this, because I looked at his Instagram, because I wanted to see what John Landis was up to nowadays. Mm-hmm. He, he posts a lot of pictures of, like, him and Michael Jackson, because he worked with him a lot after that. Yeah. Um, but all of the comments on John Landis's posts are like... You piece of shit, you murdered three people. I just saw the documentary. You fucking murdered three people. You should fucking die. I hope a helicopter lands on you. And I'm like, whoa, okay. First of all, like, you didn't know about that for 40 fucking years. Mm. This guy is, like, in his 80s. And, like, I'm not I'm not forgiving what he did at all. Like, obviously, like, he killed people on a movie set. That's bad. But, uh... Maybe don't comment, I hope a helicopter lands on you and your family. Like, fucking, like, what the hell? I mean, he's he's no Alec Baldwin. He's so. no Alec Baldwin. He didn't shoot someone at point-blank range. Uh, okay, so. so. Should we do some notable tracks? Uh, well, we gotta do about the artist first. Okay, let's do um, it. So, uh, the King of Pop mm-hmm. was born August 29th, 1958 in Gary, Indiana. He was the eighth child in the Jackson family. Damn. Uh, huge family. Everybody was in music. Um, his mom, uh, Catherine. Sorry, I just have pop-ups. Um, his mom, Catherine, uh, played the clarinet and the piano. And she wanted to be a country western singer. Mm-hmm. And to supplement that, she worked part-time at Sears. Okay. Uh, his father, uh, Joe Jackson, former pro boxer. Uh, he was a crane operator and he was a like rhythm and blues guitarist. Uh, and that was kind of how he supplemented the family income. Yeah. So both parents were like, they wanted to be performers, but they didn't have, you know, they didn't mm-hmm. have the ability to, to pursue it full time. Um, Michael made his professional debut in 1964 with his brother's band, which originally was called the Jacksons. Then when he joined the band and his other brother joined the band, they became the Jackson Five. Obviously, they are a huge like influence on on music. Yeah, big group. Um, and I mean, just think how early he started in his life. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, performing at a professional level. I know they six did, years old. I know they did lots of clubs. Yeah, they did lots of clubs in that time. Even before they had their big hits, they were touring yeah. pretty constantly. Um, I know they were doing a lot of the. You know, African-American clubs in Indiana and surrounding areas, going yep. to Illinois, going to Chicago. And Diana um, Ross put them on a on an album, too, mm-hmm. which was very early on into, like, their career. Yep. Um, they had three Grammy nominations, three fucking Grammy uh, inducted into, like, the Hall of Fames. Yep. And they 18 top 20 hits, four number one hits, and over a million records sold worldwide. Crazy. And they were all kids, mostly. They were all children. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty nuts. It's fucking insane. They don't, re- you don't really see that as much anymore. Back then, they had, you know, all the, they had the Osmonds, they had the Jacksons, like these family bands. You don't see them as much anymore. Or like Shirley Temple, mm-hmm. you know, like Hanson. Yeah, <laughs> child exploitation was okay until the nineties. Everyone. Yeah, people kind of grow up a little bit. Uh, yeah, they, they 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 matured on that subject too. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yes, uh, the exploitation of them, I guess, is something we could talk about too. Well, uh, and that's that's something that we definitely have to talk about because I I found this exact uh, I found this exact quote, and I I really want to like I I think that this will help us kind of you know get an idea of who Michael Jackson is. So Michael said his father told him he had a fat nose, and 
physically and emotionally abused him during rehearsals. He recalled that Joe often sat in a chair with a belt in his hand as he and his siblings rehearsed, ready to punish any mistakes. Joe acknowledged that he regularly whipped Michael, but Catherine said that although whipping came to be considered abuse, it was common to discipline children when Michael was growing up. Which is the, it's weird between all the siblings. I know some of the other siblings say that it wasn't abusive. Mm -hmm. Some do say it was abusive. It's, you know, I personally stand on the side. It's probably pretty freaking abusive. Yeah. Um, I mean, if you fuck up a a lyric or, you know, you miss a note, you're going to get whipped with a belt. Like, that's crazy. That's like, probably that's why he talk. became such a good dancer, though, too. Well, he said – I know Michael Jackson said, yeah, it, you know, he this that quote was from his Oprah interview. Mm-hmm. Um, but he was saying, like, yeah, you know, that was horrendous to happen to me. But it's also probably why I have such a, you know, strive for perfection. And he attributed some of that to his success, um, which, you know, you can think about it a couple different ways, but – um, whether he's just saying that to you know protect his father or he actually truly believes it, who knows? But it's certainly a pretty shocking thing to hear that someone would do that to their own children. Well, and it's kind of dark because it, it kind of goes into the thing of like, uh, you know, a lot of comedians have had like, well, artists in general, but I'm, I'm, I want to mention it with comedians, right? Mm-hmm. A lot of comedians have rough upbringings. Uh, a lot of us have depression. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there's the argument of like, does that make the artist who they are? Right. And I, I don't know. I think that, I think that it helps you perceive the world differently, Mm -hmm. but I don't think that, I think that if somebody's funny, they're funny. Yeah. I mean, does art have to come from like pain and trauma? No, No, exactly. I mean, it's a, it's a, some of it certainly does, but Mm -hmm. I think it's a, a, there's there's two sides to the argument. I've heard that before too. You know, people are like all oh, the best artists are all you know traumatized and had terrible childhoods, whatever it may yeah. be. There's certainly some of them that have, um, but others that haven't. So. And, and I mean, there's I think that I think that artists go through dark phases. Mm-hmm. I mean, you saw my dark phase, yeah, I did. <laughs> where yeah. I was listening to fucking Daniel Johnson's story of the artist. Oh, I'm yeah. like, this will be played at my funeral. I had I had one too, and I was oh. li- I was listening to Elliot Smith all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, we got really into Elliot Smith, and I was like, man, this is depressing. Oh, dude, it's it, and and it's so bad, like, it's so hard to get out of that cycle too, because you're like, no, this is just who I am now, man. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I'm so fucking I'm so sad. moody and edgy all the time. Moody I want to wake, edgy. I want to wake up in the morning and listen to fucking sad music all day. I'm gonna smoke cigarettes and drink coffee, and that's gonna be my whole. It's life. romantic, dude. Oh, <laughs> it's so beautiful. I'm just like, you don't understand me. I'm an artist. Okay, Every, everything that's shitty that you're doing, you're like, oh, it's like shit sitting on the shitty fire escape chain smoking cigarettes and you're like <laughs> listening to sad music like, oh man there's something romantic about this yeah, it's, no, no realistically uh and and that was like when we lived together in toronto that was mm-hmm. part of my like dark artist yeah, period yeah. oh i went through one too uh, and it was it was also bad because i was in a play at the time that was very fucking dark <laughs> uh directed by evelyn long shout out to evelyn long uh, evelyn. lead singer of the sunstrokes thanks for liking our facebook posts yeah <laughs> thanks for uh sharing our podcast yeah, too. yeah we appreciate it um but uh what I think is really funny is like I got headshots at that time and I was a buck 40 and I didn't realize how underweight I was until I like looked back on it. And I'm like, I had like the sunken eyes. I had bags under my eyes. I was literally living off of a diet of, 
Pizza Pops, coffee, cigarettes, mm-hmm. and sadness. Happy Mart. What was it called? I can't remember. The oh, one. the fucking uh, 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 the twenty four hour gas yeah. station. We used to do all of our grocery shopping. Oh, at. and I would buy bongs from there too. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. No, we went through that around the same time. Just to be clear, you don't have to be sad and no. emotional to be an artist. We're not sad people, and to, to try to fit in that box is not uh, you know something you have to do. No, just a little sidebar for anybody that's trying to discover their artistic <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> personality. Guess but. what? You can create really good art without being a fucking downer. You to don't have to be depressed you. all the time. Yeah. No, you don't have to. <laughs> um, you don't have to fit that role. The tortured <laughs> artist is not fun. You don't have to be that. All right, so... We're going to move on with the album here. Mm-hmm. Or not with the album, with the artist. Um, so, in 1977, Michael Jackson decided to move to New York City uh, because he was starring in The Wiz as the Scarecrow. Mm. It was directed by Sidney Lamute. He was starring alongside Diana Ross. That's cool. And that's where he met Quincy Jones. Nice. Yeah. So, this is the beginning of his solo career, okay? So, his fifth studio album which was his uh, solo album, Off the Wall, uh, established him as a performer, uh, helped him move from, like, you know, this this kid that everyone was like, oh, like, mm-hmm. l- look at how cute he is. Suddenly he was, you know, singing about, like, partying. Yeah. Fucking, like... Having fun. Having fun. Lots of disco tracks. Lots of disco yeah. tracks. Yeah, fun album. Off the Wall is such a fun album. I, I personally think, like... Out of like, because there's realistically there's there's three albums of Michael Jackson's mm-hmm. that we all you know can think of. It's like Off the Wall, Thriller, and Bad. I feel like Off the Wall is the most fun. Yeah, I'd say so. Yeah, yeah. I can agree to that. So uh, he had a bunch of you know top ten hits with that. Uh, sold twenty million copies worldwide, which is also really good. Then the eighties roll around. And he becomes a fashion, a dance, and a music icon. Mm-hmm. Really changes everything in, in, in the 80s. Like, it, it really sets the fucking tone. He is the most famous person in the world at the time. Mm-hmm. Like, he, everybody knows Michael Jackson. Um, everybody knows his music. All of his, like I said, all of his songs are, are charting. His music videos are hitting. His performances are, you know, all over TV. He's meeting with... Ronald Reagan, he's, you know, doing anti-drug campaigns. He's everywhere. He's and you know everywhere. He's, he actually is bridging a lot of the gap with racism, too. He certainly is. It doesn't matter if it's black or white. No, but, like, it, it, it's crazy. Like, his, his stardom, it's so funny. Because, like, I remember when we were in high school, people were talking about Justin Bieber. Uh, and yeah. a lot of people wanted him to be the next Michael Jackson. Uh he doesn't hold a fucking candle to Michael no. Jackson. Pre-internet, too, he had that sort of fame. Like yeah. One of those, you know, once-in-a-lifetime artists. He is the king of pop. He's untouchable in his in his music. I mean, you can't can't come close to all the hits he had. If you, you read the you read the list of the off this album. It's yeah. incredible. It, you hear him on the radio on a regular basis. Seven mm-hmm. top ten hits off this album. This album has some artists' careers mm-hmm. basically on one album. It's insane. And and more than most careers, more than more than most careers, it's pretty like, pretty wicked. How many people have like one or two hits? Yeah, and those cover usually a couple of albums. Mm-hmm. Uh, he has seven fucking hits mm-hmm. off of one album. Yeah. Um. So, uh, in November 1983, Jackson and his brothers partnered with PepsiCo 
in a $5 million promotional deal. It's worth like $13 million today, right? $13.9 million, yeah. And it's so funny because the the commercials were so ridiculous. (laughs) Like, you watch them now and you're like, this would not make anybody Mm -hmm. buy a Pepsi. I mean... Now we have Kendall Jenner <laughs> handing out to, handing out Pepsi to, to rioters. Cops. Yeah, and, and Pepsi's never been good with ads. No, or pyrotechnics apparently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because they 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 burnt the fuck out of his scalp. Yeah, he got burnt. Uh, pyrotechnic malfunction. He, he also, uh, he, he okay. So it was his scalp and his face mm-hmm. is what it was, and that required plastic surgery then. So this was kind of the beginning of like the plastic surgery era of Michael yep. Jackson. Okay. He had had a rhinoplasty before, which, like, as we mentioned, his dad made fun of his nose, which is probably, like, that, that's there's some fucked deep, up. There's some deep-rooted there's some things deep-rooted there, shit yeah. there. And if you look at Michael Jackson, like, as a kid, like, there was nothing wrong with his nose. That no. was really fucking, like, uh, unnecessary, you know? It, it's unfortunate, like we were talking about earlier. I mean, he, he butchered himself, unfortunately. Yeah. And it's sad to see. I mean, you look at, especially in his later life, man, he doesn't even look like a human being. Like, it's... It's pretty pretty it, jarring. It's really jarring. Yeah. Um. And I want to just go on if we're talking about his appearance. So he was diagnosed with vitiligo, which is it causes skin blotches, mm-hmm. blotches. Uh, and so it it like changes the pigment in people's skins. That's originally why he was wearing the white glove, right? Yeah. Covering up. Um. You know, he's obviously a very. Uh, I mean, he, rightfully so. I guess he's insecure from his father or from mm-hmm. the press. So he has some serious insecurities and then obviously some health stuff going on, some medical yeah. issues. Um, and, and I think that that would happen if you're from the time you're six years old, you're famous. Yeah. You oh, grow yeah. up with nothing other than fame, but he had, he had that. And then he also had lupus. Mm. So the combination of the two, uh, he started wearing fair makeup. Yep. And he started using what was supposed to be at the time, like skin cream that would help even out his skin. What was not known at the time was that it was actually skin bleaching agents in mm. it. So that's when he started to look, you know, like he was becoming white. Yeah. Um, but there's a there's a quote that he said uh, where he was like talking about how he didn't bleach his skin purposely and he could not control his condition. So he said, when people make up stories that I don't want to be who I am, it hurts me now. I don't know if you've seen the videos of Michael Jackson being just straight up hood. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you sent the, you sent one in the group chat. Yeah, and it's so fucking funny because like he uh he, like he has a a deeper voice mm-hmm. when he's not like it, it, when he wasn't in interviews. Yeah, when it was like. He didn't know that people were like, uh, like recording or anything. Get like that, that fucking camera out of my face! Get that fucking camera out of my face! <laughs> yeah. My favorite though is that there was apparently some people hanging out in the dressing room, and he didn't, he didn't want them there, but he didn't say anything. He was being really polite. Uh, and when they left, he turns to uh, the guy that was with him and he goes, "Man, I thought those motherfuckers were never gonna leave." <laughs> <laughs> I mean, to be fair, he's from Gary, Indiana. I don't know if anybody knows anything about Gary nowadays, but Gary is, like, not a good place to live. 
Yeah, not a good place to live at all. And a fucking terrible name for a child. Yeah, <laughs> it is. It's a, a fire Gary! A steel mill town where the workers had to pay to live in the town where they worked. And mm, then, so, like, a, a Springsteen song. Yeah, basically like a Springsteen song. We're visiting episode one. Uh, but, yeah, shitty town. All the all the guns that go to Chicago uh, nowadays, where there's tons of gang violence, mm-hmm. go through Gary, Indiana. Wow. So, yeah, certainly something uh, nowadays. That town is terrible. It's got, like, Detroit vibes, broken down houses, um, you know, whole neighborhoods are abandoned. So Gary was, I don't know, back then, um, it was probably starting its downward trend, but Gary was not a good place to live. It's not a good place to live nowadays either. So yeah, a little I, fun little fact. I'm going to take a shot here yeah, and go ahead. say that, uh, <laughs> you know, they really wanted to fire a bullet out of that town to start a. <laughs> yeah, that was bad. <laughs> That was bad, Spencer. I know. That one sucked. I'm not mm-hmm. going to lie. Um, okay, so uh, uh, going uh, back to 1985, he records We Are the World, which he co-wrote with Lionel Richie. Yeah. Which is fucking funny. We are but the world. they recorded it right after the Grammys. Mm. Literally the entire, everyone that was on that song went from the Grammys, like the ceremony, <laughs> to record this song. And there's a video of Michael Jackson, like, directing everyone. He's like, all right, guys, come on. Let's go get in line here. Uh, it's so fucking funny. It's really funny. And then <laughs> and then you watch, like, you watch as Bob Dylan didn't want to fucking be there. <laughs> Bob Dylan's just like, uh... You remember when they did that with all the Canadian artists for Wave and Flag? Uh, and there's like so many people, like you know, you know a couple, and there's so many people like, who the fuck is that? And then Justin Bieber does the little Michael Jackson part, gets his own little solo uh, little section. Yeah, half the artists, you're like, who the fuck is that? Like, <laughs> you know what? Uh, I gotta say, it's so funny because this year, uh, Kanon played at Folk Fest here mm-hmm. in Calgary. Nice, and That's I a missed, name I haven't heard in a while. I missed it, but I also didn't realize that. Excuse me. He had two hits, not oh. just Wave and Flag. What's the other one? I forget now. <laughs> Is that the name of the song, or you just forgot? No, I forgot. <laughs> I, 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 I was hoping you wouldn't ask, honestly. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I know the, Wave and Flag. There was uh, another one, though, because I saw a bunch of videos from Folk Fest that they were posting, and I was like, like, oh, I know this song. Oh, I know this song. By the way, you know what we should do? We should campaign to uh, record a podcast at Folk Fest this nah, year. That'd be fun. That'd be so dope. What's the name of the song? Uh, <laughs> Sam's laughing about something. I opened this Spotify, and you know how it has like the top five. Yeah, yeah. It's all waving flag, waving flag, Coca Cola. Waving flag, new version. When I get older, his only hit is waving flag. His only hit is waving flag. Okay, but but how do we feel about this, Sam? We're gonna we're gonna campaign to record a podcast at Folk Fest. Oh, yeah. yeah, I'd do that. Folkfest's head office used to be behind my apartment, so... I interviewed Folkfest for my TV show. Oh, nice. Yeah, Alberta Picnic. You should ha- watch it on Tell a Story. By the way, I have to actually say something. I haven't seen this, your show. Uh, uh, no, I don't think anyone has. Um, I, I just need to say this. Yeah, I just need to say this. I uh, Last episode, I made fun of it. Yes. Um... I do not hate the show itself. I just hate TELUS as a company. I have oh, to nice. clarify, okay? Uh, uh, and, and I feel very confident in saying that. 
uh, uh, they were very not nice to me. Um, I do have an announcement, though. We just got a sponsorship with TELUS. <laughs> so we take back anything Spencer just said. Yeah, so we're going to lose money on this podcast. But you then. know what? You know what TELUS is better than? <laughs> Rogers. So, yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah. If anybody knows anything about Canada, we have terrible cellular networks, terrible prices, and Rogers shut down for a whole day, like, I don't know, like three or four months ago. Yeah. yeah, it fucked up everybody's day. I couldn't fucking get money out of the bank. I couldn't, you couldn't, like, use bank machines anywhere. The day Roger shut down, everyone that I worked under at TELUS shared the same fucking meme that was, like, Canadians looking at TELUS with Rogers looking at them like, Ugh. and I was like, oh, I hate you so much. I hate that you're, but you're drinking the company Kool-Aid, you fucking loser. To be clear, they all suck. They all suck. They all bell... Rogers, Telus, they all fucking yep. suck. Well, I'll say Bell doesn't just because I really want to get on Roast Battles Canada. But uh, other than <laughs> other than that, the other companies they are all awful. <laughs> Bell sucks. Okay, uh, that uh, does not reflect me. Uh, no. <laughs> um, okay, so in 1987, he releases Bad. Nice. It's also a hit. Uh, twenty in twenty five countries, it was the number one album at once. That's pretty cool. Which that is, uh, it it was not. The same with Thriller. That was the first time that ever happened, which is pretty fun crazy. Mm-hmm. You had a lot of hits off that album, too. It was not as big, obviously. No. But it's kind of hard to... Like, okay, can you imagine if he went dangerous, off the wall, uh, bad Thriller, and then just quit? <laughs> you know, like, his, his, his progression would be, like, so fucking good... And then he could just end it. Yeah, at just thriller. stop there. Just yeah. stop there. Tour for the rest of his life. Mm-hmm. He would never have to do another another well, thing. Speaking of thriller, one thing I wanted to mention: thirty-four times platinum. So yeah, that's which is nutty. Fucking insane. We learned what platinum was. So thirty-four times, something like seventy million copies. Mm-hmm. Like pretty nuts for a single record, which is insane. It's like the double double the Canadian population. Also, I I want to mention because like this is kind of around this time. So uh, he had a he had a friendship with Paul McCartney, mm-hmm. um, and his friendship started because when he wanted to rec- like do the girl is mine, he started writing a song, and then he got Paul McCartney's phone number and he phones up Paul, and Paul's like, "Who's this?" And he's like, "This is Michael." And he's like, uh, "And then Michael's like, I want to write a song with you." And Paul was like. All right, that sounds good. And then Michael Jackson just showed up at his fucking house. <laughs> he didn't, like, tell him he was coming or anything. He showed up at his house, and they wrote The Girl Is Mine together. And Paul McCartney talked about this afterwards in, like, promotional for, like, the song coming out. And he was like, yeah, he just showed up, and we wrote the song. He had an idea for what he wanted to do, and then we did mm-hmm. it. Um, what I think is really funny, uh, Michael learned that uh, because Paul told him that he was making $40 million a year off of other artists' music just from owning the rights yep. to it. So Michael wanted to get involved with that. Then the Beatles catalog, as well as like 4,000 other songs, came up. Mm-hmm. Uh, Paul wanted to buy it with Michael. But he didn't want to buy it on his own. And then the deal fell through, and then Michael just fucking bought it himself. Yeah. Uh, so then he was making insane bank because he's making his own money – Plus the Beatles, plus these four thousand other songs that like, and I, he his family still gets royalties off the yeah. Beatles stuff, right? I think equivalent to today, I was reading this too. It's something like a hundred and twenty five million dollars he bought the catalog for, which is yeah. insane. Yeah, which is nutty. Which is nuts because I guarantee you that he's making three times. Oh, probably, oh, most definitely. Um. Okay, so nineteen eighty eight, he releases Moonwalk, which is his autobiography. 
It's a New York Times bestseller, sold mm. 200,000 copies. Talks about a lot of stuff in there. I don't think it would have been as honest as an autobiography nowadays. No. Uh, I think that there was a lot of things he probably kept out at that time. Because yeah. that was before, you know, the Oprah interview where he really opened up and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at the end of the decade, President George H.W. Bush designated him the White House's Artist of the Decade. I didn't know that wasn't a word they could give out. I didn't either. No, you learn I, something new every day. You learn I know, something. I know Obama gave it out to Kendrick Lamar. Oh, Obama, Obama gave it to Kendrick, gave it to Kendrick? That's, That's insane. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. I didn't know that was a thing. That is a really cool... Uh, you, you know what I like is that that's two black artists that have been artists of the decade. By the White House. By the White House. <laughs> 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 yeah, you know why? Because uh, white people have no rhythm. Yeah, It true. literally comes down to that. I mean, I personally cannot dance. So I uh, I dance every time at the uh, when I'm when I'm doing door work, mm. and uh, I think that that's what intimidates people to not want to. Yeah, fuck I was gonna with say me. that's probably why people aren't showing up to the club nights yeah. here out front. I think that the no no I think what it is is they're like I don't want to get in trouble because I don't mm. want him to touch me and have his lack of rhythm run <laughs> off on me. <laughs> yeah, my my movement skills like I can dance and I'm like I do the same three moves. I'm not I'm not a good dancer. I'll never be a good dancer i've accepted it you know i still dance though so see i got i got two parts of my lineage that are very dance heavy but mm. then i have swedish and finnish and that fucking is not dancing <laughs> at all i'm like 100 percent irish <laughs> <laughs> no rhythm no rhythm just potatoes no uh, rhythm. Yeah. which by the way are not native to europe mm, didn't know that they either. were only native to north america they actually got brought over to europe and then because they were Get so back and forth thing. cheap to produce like so easy to produce, they became a, a staple everywhere. Mm. But then when uh, there was a big when the potato famine happened, it was because all these farmers in Ireland had uh, changed their crops to entirely potatoes. So when this uh, like disease came through and wiped out specifically potatoes, uh, it fucked up the the entire mm. crop for all of Ireland. Well, that's how my family ended up here was <laughs> potato famine. Really? So, yeah. Yeah. Fuck. That was really random fact. I'm glad that I knew that. Yeah, though. there you go. Um, okay, so in 1991, he releases Dangerous. Black or White becomes the number one hit. Mm-hmm. Uh, he also composed the music for Sonic 3. The video game. The yeah. video game. <laughs> nice. Uh, but then he went uncredited because of the sexual assault like allegations mm-hmm. at the time. Uh, and then, But what's really funny about it, though, is he was a huge Sonic fan. Like, an Uber fan. And he loved Sega so fucking much. So, he composes the music for Sonic 3. He goes uncredited. But in the recent Sega compilation that had, like, Sonic and stuff on it, his music is removed because his kids did not want... Like, his estate did not want uh, his music in the... Interesting. In the in the new one. So, they had to redo the music. Mm. Which I think is super fucking crazy. Um, like so, they had to redo the Sonic in the movie. That, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sonic is a lot of redoing. Yeah, you know what they need to redo next? Chris Pratt is Super Mario. Oh, God. Did you see that fucking trailer? Another little quick sidebar. It's like, you think he's going to be like, hey, it's me, I'm Mario. He's like, no, it's me, Chris Pratt. What's up, guys? Yeah. It's like fucking terrible, dude. I hated that, but I did really like, uh, I did like Toad. 
Yeah, Toad's all right. Toad's great. Uh, Jack Black's Bowser's yeah, great. Yeah, but uh, <laughs> Chris Pratt is Mario just doing Chris Pratt. Sounds like fucking Buddy from the Lego movie. It's the same voice. It's mm. literally, he just does Chris Pratt. And I remember seeing that he was talking about, like, how hard he had to work on the Mario voice. And it's just fucking him as Chris Pratt. God, I hate Charlie that Day so is much. Luigi. Yeah. Charlie Day is Luigi, actually. him His natural voice would sound better. Interesting, interesting casting choices, no doubt. A very interesting casting choices. Um, okay, so... Uh, in 2001, Jackson 5 re, uh, like, uh, reunited, reunited for a uh, couple of concerts at Madison Square Gardens mm-hmm. just to commemorate the 30th anniversary of Michael's solo career. Nice. Uh, all of those shows sold out. Those are shows I would have fucking loved to have been. That would have been pretty cool. Yeah. Cause that would have been all the Jackson 5 hits, all of Michael Jackson's hits. And then, excuse me, they also had like. Uh, uh, Latoya and Janet come out there mm-hmm. as well, so that would have been really cool because it would have been a lot of different, uh, you know, different elements of mm-hmm. the Jackson family. It's pretty cool. That that does uh, Madison Square Garden. Yeah, pretty wicked. Pre- was it? Did you say what, what year did you say it was? Two thousand one. Was it what 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 month? I was gonna say if it was pre nine eleven. It'd be pretty fucking wicked. See, I don't rem- I don't mm. remember that part. I don't remember mm. if it was pre or post. If it was if it was pre, it would be really fucking. Yeah, wicked. it would be nice. Because like honestly, there's like there are I I don't think that the year two thousand was the turning point. I really feel like September eleventh was the turning yeah, point. Yeah, the world certainly changed after that day. Because like I remember like I don't know if you remember nine eleven. I don't. Okay, I was I I was six. Was it pre or post? September tenth. Oh my god, September 10th, 2001 Wow That is insane One fucking day off of having an awful concert (laughs) Oh my god Wow Yeah, that would not have happened That's nutty That's a good little September 7th and September 10th Wow Good little fucking (laughs) Good job, Sam Yeah Sam Sam the Tech Man Sam Sam the Tech Man We gotta give him the snaps Give them so September snaps. 10th, 2001, they had that concert. That's crazy. And that was the last time that they all played on stage wow. together. Nice. Um, what is really crazy, because I, I do remember September 11th. See, I do uh, not. I was six years old at the time. But the only reason I remember it is because a bunch of my teachers all coincidentally had children that worked either in New York or in the World Trade Center. Mm. Uh, two of their kids like worked as like daycare people in the Trade Centers. Wow. So... Uh, I remember getting on the bus, going to school, and then literally the bus turning around and going back home. Mm. And then I remember coming in, and, and it was all on the TV, and it was like replays at that point because yeah. there was a huge time difference, right? Of like fucking three hours. It was the Sports Center highlight reel. Yeah, yeah. I walk into my living room at like six years old. Uh, at six <laughs> years old, and I watch a plane fly into the World Trade Center, and yeah. I was like, oh, okay. And my grandpa, I just remember him being like, "We're going to war now." And then he started telling me awful things like, "Well, you know, you'll probably have to fight in a war in your lifetime now." And I was like, "Jesus Christ, I'm six. Why are you doing this to me?" Um. Also, my parents were divorcing at the time, so life was not good for Spencer. Anyways, <laughs> um, not a good section of time for you. Not a good section of time. Uh, 9-11 really fucked me. Um, <laughs> 2001, not a good year for Spencer. Um, uh, specifically for me. Um, but in... <laughs> only you. <laughs> only me. I was still being toilet trained. Yeah, I was three. Shit. Uh, I fucking... Yeah. You know what I hate, though, is I hate that there's kids that are born after 9-11 that are allowed to drink now. I don't like that. Um, that's what it's funny. One of the things I asked people like to determine like how old they are i'm like do you remember 9-11 so it's funny we talked about it because i don't fucking remember it yeah not at all i i do not remember it at all just perfectly honest i've watched tons of things about it mm-hmm. um 
there's one, The Jumping Man. It's a oh, good documentary. Yeah. That's a good watch. That one's a really good watch. The, uh, the Actually, my favorite piece of media about 9-11 is Howard Stern's broadcast oh, from yeah, 9-11. Oh, yeah, I've listened to that, too. Yeah. It's fucking insane because he was far better, I think, than any other, any other broadcaster because he was – he was letting people voice their opinions on what was happening mm-hmm. without fear of like, you know, uh, whatever. And, uh, you know, being judged or whatever. I mean, um, old Stern is fucking awesome. Just old Stern is in, great in general. Yeah. I mean, like the things he could say on the radio, the things they did, whether you think it's funny or not, but just the fact, the freedom he had to do what he wanted. on the He's radio. part of the reason podcasts are a thing. hundred percent. It, it's like, that, that is, that is a big reason. Um, but that, that broadcast and then the day after actually is a really good one too, because it's a very somber one. Mm. It's super weird because everybody couldn't get into the studio in New York. So they had to like, uh, you know, there, there was trouble. Like Artie Lang had to take a fucking, a boat to get into the, the city from New Jersey. And then when he gets in there, he brings Howard breakfast and stuff because <laughs> there was no breakfast places open. It's really fucking funny. Like it's a, it's a great episode. Um, but uh, going back to Michael, uh, in 2009, while preparing for uh, a comeback concert and tour, this is uh, it. This is it. Uh, that was not it. Um, he uh, he overdosed of propofol, which was administered by his personal physician Conrad Murray, mm-hmm. who was convicted in 2011 of involuntary manslaughter. But the same day that he died, Farrah Fawcett also died. Yep, which is really a shame. I remember when Michael Jackson died because I got suspended for from school for fighting earlier in the day. Really? <laughs> yeah, I got I got in trouble for fighting. Did you win? This, no, I don't really remember this guy. <laughs> I fucking this guy. This I remember his name. Fucking Jacob. He was like harassing this girl basically we got in a fist fight but i remember i was suspended so my parents took like my game boy and fucking my tv away so i was just listening to the radio and they were just playing michael jackson on repeat oh fuck, so i remember funny. when he died pretty pretty crystal clear because i was sitting in my room grounded so i was going to baseball practice and same thing going there just on the there's a couple couple celebrities I remember dying. Like I remember when Robin Williams died. I remember mm-hmm. hearing that as well on the radio. I was with my grandpa. Um, so a couple that really stand out in in my lifetime. But Michael Jackson's one of them. I was I was at a branding when Michael Jackson died when mm. I, when we found out about that, and then a bunch of old cowboys started making jokes about Michael Jackson. <laughs> nice. A lot of them were very racially insensitive. Anyways, <laughs> probably. Um, <laughs> yeah, if there's one thing cowboys are, it's uh, racist. A little racist. Uh, <laughs> All right, so uh, we're getting into notable track lists here. Uh, mm. Seven singles released were in the top ten. The Girl is Mine, Billie Jean, Beat It, Want to Be Starting Something, Human Nature, Pretty Young Thing, and Thriller, setting a record for the most top ten singles from an album. Mm-hmm. Beat It and Billie Jean were number one, which was surprising. I thought that Thriller would have been number one mm-hmm. as well, but just those two. Uh Baby Be Mine and Lady In My Life were the only songs not in the top that were not singles. Yeah. Uh, which is fair. Mm-hmm. I, think- I I don't like them. That, they're, I wouldn't say they're bad songs, but just compared to the other legendary songs on the yeah. album. They do uh, not fit the album, really. I'm sure there's an alternate timeline where those were smash hits in an alternate universe where and the other know, yeah songs every, were not. We're having the same pockets. We're like, yeah, Billie Jean's kind of a stinker. Uh, <laughs> I'm, sure that, I'm sure there's an alternate timeline. Yeah. 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 Oh God! How different the world would be. <laughs> but yes, there's certainly there's a couple. There's like two songs on the album. <laughs> fuck, fuck off, you two. <laughs> anyways, anyways, let's continue. Notable tracks. All right. Uh, I gotta say this. Uh, there's some really funny lyrics in this album. Mm-hmm. Uh, like okay. Uh, 
want to be certain something, my favorite lyric is, if you don't want a baby, yeah, then don't have a baby, yeah. If you don't need a baby, yeah, then don't have a baby, yeah. I just find that so fucking funny. Mm-hmm. I also find it funny with uh, with with the girl is mine because like we talked about this. It's not a good song. Yeah, it's, it's like, she's my girl. No, no, Paul, she's mine. The girl is mine. No, Paul, she's mine. <laughs> the dong gone girl is mine. <laughs> no, Paul, the girl's mine. Yeah, that song yeah. I don't like at all. Really, like, and I then was... there's also a weird part where where Paul goes. She's mine! Like, he goes up an octave, but he can't hit it quite right, so he's like, she's mine! <laughs> yeah. Paul Paul McCartney on that song, just that song in general, yeah, not, it's, not it's, for me. It's also fucking weird that a 24-year-old and an almost 50-year-old are arguing mm-hmm. over a girl at that point. <laughs> yeah. That's fucking weird to me. <laughs> like, that, can, that can only happen in one place. <laughs> Jeffrey Epstein's Island. Ah! <laughs> Speaking of Epstein, uh, both of those people uh, were chartered on flights. Nice. No, I actually don't know if that's true or not. We don't know that, but we... But seem, it would make sense why Michael like Jackson's to, dead. We like to talk about Epstein, though, almost every episode. So yeah. Awareness. Yeah. Just to remind people, I'm all about the awareness. I'm I'm all about the awareness too. Uh, keep an eye on Ghislaine. I used sure to she be, doesn't... I used to be super into WikiLeaks. So I I uh, for one point in my life I used to just read WikiLeaks on Tor browsers, trying to fucking be like they're not gonna find that I know this information. <laughs> I was like reading <laughs> Hillary Clinton's emails, fucking all on fucking WikiLeaks all the time. So yeah, I, I've done my research. Jesus Christ. Okay, let's go into the reception of this album. It, fucking awesome, man. Yeah, uh, thirty-seven consecutive weeks at number one Eight on the Billboard. Grammys, right? Eight Grammys. Michael Jackson was on the flight. Log. He was on the flight. Yeah, he was on the flight log. What about, what about Paul, Sir Paul? Okay, no, no, no. But you know what? If Sir Paul isn't and Michael is, then I have a, I have a, I have a theory. Conrad Murray was paid by the Clintons to kill Michael Jackson. <laughs> I'm just gonna throw that theory out there now because uh, let's be honest here, that would that would match up. Mm. That would match up. It could. I don't know. I'm not. Uh, we're going to get Alex Jones status here. We're going to have to start paying a million bucks. Paul McCartney Paul, was not on the, the flight log. My theory adds up. There my theory adds up. All right. Shout out, shout out to Paul McCartney. Shout out to Paul McCartney. Shout out to the Clintons. Don't kill us. Um. Uh, okay. So received very well, though. Uh, 37 weeks at number one. Mm-hmm. Uh, won eight Grammys, which was record breaking. Uh, critically, five stars across the board, mm-hmm. except the Rolling Stone. Mm, see, one thing I found funny, too, the Rolling Stone described it as a zesty LP. Yeah. Like, all I think about when I hear zesty is like salad dressing. <laughs> <laughs> so, a zesty LP. When a I thousand hear, islands of albums. When I hear zesty, I think of the Gypsy Kings. Mm. <laughs> you remember the Gypsy yeah, Kings? That was That yeah. is music I would describe as zesty. Zesty. <laughs> okay, uh... Uh, okay, so about the culture at the time, we're kind of rifling through the last little bit here. We're yeah, we got long. How, what, um, are we, how are we doing timing wise? Oh, jeez, yeah. woo! But you know what? For the biggest selling album of all time, I feel yeah. like it's yeah. fair that we fuck go it. A long, long episode Halloween yeah. extravaganza. Yeah, go take a pee. <laughs> um, okay, so about the culture at the time, when this album came out, 1982, there were very few black artists that were showcased on television. Mm-hmm. Carson wouldn't show black comedians. Most variety shows didn't feature black acts on them unless they were black variety shows. Mm-hmm. Um, and despite the chart topping success of a lot of artists at the time, MTV kind of had an unspoken rule of not showing 
black music videos. Which is just fucking crazy to think about. Yeah. Just in general. Like, I mean, a lot of the best artists in music right now are African-American. Like, it's crazy to think that they there was, even back then in the 80s, uh, I mean, like, 20 years after the civil rights movement, yeah. they were still having these fucking problems. And like, like, and like, let's look at people at that time. It was like, you know, you had Diana Ross, you had Prince, mm-hmm. you had like, you had these absolutely incredible artists yeah. who apparently like could not get any airtime. I mean, I wonder, uh, we'll probably find this out when we're doing the, the purple rain episode, yeah. but I, I wonder if maybe that's why he made a movie out of purple rain was because he couldn't get music videos played on it could be, could be. MTV. And I mean, also Prince shout out, Prince and Michael Jackson, shout out to some of the best Super Bowl halftime performances oh my God. of all time. Incredible. Michael Michael Jackson not only revolutionized, you know, music videos, also he was the first, like, real serious Super Bowl performance. Yeah. Was it was in 91 or 92 he did Super uh, Bowl. Yeah, it was, uh, I think early it was... Early 90s. Yeah, it was early 90s. And his was so good, uh, they fucked it up later and they did, like, a Disney characters mm. one. But when that was happening, In Living Color did a live... Uh, show at the same time a live sketch show so it was like uh you know uh the 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 wayans brothers Mm -hmm. and and jim carrey and all those people and they did a live one and it was advertised as an anti-super bowl halftime show and they literally had a clicker at the like a countdown clock at the bottom of the screen so that people could flip over to the super bowl (laughs) when the halftime show ended and their ratings spiked through the roof and were triple what the fucking uh super bowl halftime show was which is so funny that's a great idea um which also again another shout out to to black artists that like revolutionized stuff Mm -hmm. because in the in the early 90s this is totally side note but in the early 90s fox was actually uh a station for uh youth in america and uh black uh, like television series. Now it's for old people yeah. and white people, which so. is fucked because <laughs> crazy. like they they started like they they had like the the uh, Martin Lawrence show mm. and In Living Color and like all these like you know black led sitcoms and and uh, they had like you know nine hundred two one zero and mm-hmm. and uh, like uh, what the fuck was the other one? I forget the, the the there was another show that Matthew Fox and Scott Wolf were okay. in. Uh-huh. Um, but there was these like young teen dramas Mm -hmm. that dealt with like real issues. And then at the same time, there was uh, also these like black sitcoms that, that appealed to an audience that was not touched on, on any Mm -hmm. of the other networks. Um, So, but going back to 1982, uh, it took prodding to get MTV to play Billie Jean even, Mm -hmm. which is crazy because that music video I would say is like, it's 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 the weakest out of the music videos for the Thriller album, yep. but it's a fucking incredible song. And at the time, it was number one on the on the charts. So, Walter Yetnikoff, who was the president of CBS Records Group, reportedly had to threaten to remove all other CBS videos from MTV before the network agreed to air the video for Billie Jean. Uh, that was from LiveAbout.com, but his exact quote was. I'm not going to give you any more videos and I'm going to go public and fucking tell them the fact that you don't want to play music by a black man. MTV denies this, but Michael Jackson was the first black artist to be in heavy rotation on MTV. Yeah. Uh, It's pretty interesting. Yeah. Like we were just talking about before, like it's weird to think even, you know, that's not that long ago, like 40 years ago. Yeah. People were still in one of the biggest artists at the time was still had to jump those hurdles. Yeah. Just because of the color of his skin. Like what a, what a crazy thing. And really it shouldn't matter if you're black or white. No. 
Nah, second time we'll use that joke. I gotta, I gotta, you know what? It'll come up a third time. Nice. Um, okay, so, uh, you know, we, I went over my fun fact. Uh, you got a really cool fun fact, though. I have two, I think. You do have two. Um, so, one of them I remember I put in, um, well, side note, Spencer does a lot of the, the notes. I just fucking throw in a sentence here and there. We <laughs> talked about that before, too. But Michael Jackson debuted his Moonwalk mm. at uh, Motown Records' 25th anniversary on television. He had learned it three years before from another from a dancer, but he did it performing uh, Billie Jean. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's uh, one little cool fact. And that was actually one of the – it is recognized as one of the uh, – Best recorded dances of all time. Mm-hmm. Like, just that one special. That same night, too, debuted the White Glove as well. It's another little fun fact. Mm. The White Glove and the Moonwalk came out on the same night, which is just iconic Michael Jackson. I don't remember what else I said. Uh, uh, the red, I, uh, the iconic oh, red. Oh, yeah, the yeah. red the red jacket from Thrillers, uh, done by John Lannis' wife. Really? Yeah, uh, I forget her. You, you re- Give me her name, but. Uh, Deborah Noodleman Landis. Deborah Noodleman Landis is a costume designer, and she did also Indiana Jones. Fuck, that is and cool. she did the Blues Brothers, and she did Animal House. So she's she's a very successful costume designer. But she did all of Indiana Jones, and she did this icon- iconic jacket. So that's my two little fun facts. That's fucking incredible. Mm-hmm. That is actually, like, so cool. Um, yeah, mine was just that John Landis directed it. We talked about it earlier, though, so I don't want to go into yep. it. Um, but, I mean, realistically, uh, before we get into the summary and, like, the review of the album here, like, we do have some criticism. Uh, we've kind of touched on it. Uh, Lady in My Life shouldn't have been the ending song, I yes. personally believe. I think that it should have been Pretty Young Thing. I think those mm-hmm. two songs should have switched. But there was this weird trend in the 80s, and you can see it now occasionally with artists where they would end on a ballad. Yeah, I was going to say, ending it on the ballad is kind of, uh, I guess, a low note. Because there is ballads on the song, on the album, mm-hmm. but the high notes are certainly the... The big tracks, except I yeah. mean, I like I love Human Nature. That's a great song. Human Nature is great, and honestly, if they had ended it with Human Nature instead mm-hmm. of Lady in My Life, mm-hmm. I think it would have been better. Either or, but there's a couple. Yeah, that song I don't th- feel it doesn't feel like the right ending. I mean, yeah. it's not a bad song by all means, but doesn't doesn't fit the ending. You kind of think of either you know one of the hits or you know a upbeat song to finish off the album. You know what? Actually, I wanna I wanna say this. What if the first side of the album had been all of the love songs? Mm. And want to be starting something. And then the second side of the album was the fucking, like, bangers, and you mm. end on Thriller. That's interesting. I think it would be nice to end on Thriller, because it's, like, track four yeah. on the album or something. So to it's, end on it's Thriller on would A-side. be nice. So, like, yeah. that's the one that you end A-side on. I think that, okay, if, okay, let's actually, let's talk about this. Mm-hmm. My ideal uh, thought for how this album would be arranged, want to be starting something, uh, then Human Nature... Then I would still keep The Girl Is Mine on number three mm-hmm. just because McCartney's on it. So that yeah. sells albums. Uh, number four, you'd put Baby Be Mine. Mm. Then on the f- then you flip it over and the next side still stick with Beat It as the first mm-hmm. one. Then Billie Jean, then Pretty Young Thing, then Thriller. I can I can get on board with that. Yeah, that's pretty killer. And you kill Lady of My Life. I mean, we're we're just stretching to find fucking things to criticize the album about because mm-hmm. even with some of the other albums we reviewed, it's, it's fucking hard. Some it's of hard. these albums, like some of these, are masterpieces. It's really hard to actually find things to nitpick. And like, I, I'm not I'm not a musical like I I am a musical hipster, but I'm not to the point where I can't mm-hmm. acknowledge that like there's certain things that are just fucking 
pieces of art. You even know what I even mean? though it's songs that were like you know, "Lady of My Life," whatever we're criticizing, we're not even criticizing the song. Just no. where it is in the album. Yeah, like literally, like the album is the album is fucking. I think whatever which way yeah. you rearrange it, it'd be a perfect album. It'd be it's a perfect really album. hard to. It's really you could put it in any fucking order, and you wouldn't have any issues. Okay. The only, only thing that would suck if the whole album was just "The Girl Is Mine." That would the only thing that would suck. That would be really <laughs> yeah, bad. Yeah, that'd be the one thing that would suck. Although I will say this, "The Girl Is Mine" would have fit on "Off the Wall" really well. Yeah, it probably would have. Yeah. Like, right I think that that would have been a really good song on Off the Wall, but you wouldn't have had McCartney on Off the Wall. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so we got to get to the review of the album. We're going to wrap it up, I We're guess. We're going to wrap it up. Um, so, we review the album on technical element, musical element, lyrics, reception, album art, and does it hold up? Technical element. Can we do it out of how many Vincent Prices out of Vincent Prices? We oh, shit. That's the other thing. We didn't we even forgot. talk about that. Yeah. Yeah. That is actually crazy because, like, uh, I, I was reading a lot of things about that and, and how people were apparently, like, it's so funny now. Like, like it's it's mm-hmm. kind of goofy, right? Like, mm-hmm. we, we listen to it and we're like, oh, yeah, it's cool because he's iconic. Yeah. And, and it's a little silly. But apparently a lot of people were like, it was fucking creepy hearing yeah. his voice on that. And he, it, at that point in time, too, like, I mean, the thriller made him certainly more iconic, but he was, you know, known, but he wasn't as known the same way. You know, mm-hmm. He did a lot of B horror movies, whatever it may yeah. be. So this he was, he was, uh, I believe in movies with Christopher Lloyd mm. who ended up playing Saruman in, uh, uh, Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Which is crazy. Cause, uh, he played Dracula for like 30 films. Yeah. Yeah, so, so he did a bunch of horror movies in the, well, I guess, like, 40s, 50s, 60s. Yeah, yeah. And I think there was a large gap in his career, and then he did this thriller video, if I remember correctly. So Fuck, that's crazy. Pretty fucking cool that they brought him on board, and he cemented his iconic status, like, in one music video. Pretty fucking cool. That's fucking nuts. Mm-hmm. So, okay, so out of out of 10 Vincent Prices. Mm-hmm. Okay, so technical element. I hate to say it, but it's going to be really hard to give this anything but, like, a 9 or a 10 across this I feel album. like this this album might be our first 10. I had a feeling, because, like... I had a feeling, too. I, I, I really am having a hard time, like, even thinking about what to rate it. Like, like I said, there's so many iconic songs. There's so many iconic songs, and, like, technically, it's fucking 10 out of 10. There's, it's the best of the best for it's, on it. It's yeah. mixed perfectly. Mm-hmm. There's, like, 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 technically speaking, there's nothing wrong with it. Musically speaking... There's nothing wrong with it. They no. literally got the best artists that they possibly could. And even if you want to go into the music videos, I mean, they got the best of the best do, to do, make these Do we even have to go, to go through each rating? I mean, I feel like it's just like 10 Vincent Prices out of 10 Vincent Prices. I feel man. like we just got to do 10 Vincent Prices. That's our first 10. It's our first 10. This is our first 10, and I don't know if it'll be our only 10. I'm sure that we'll... I'm sure there will be other 10s. I'm sure there will yeah. be other 10s, but it's literally impossible to give it anything but and and it's not just to like follow the trend it's like if if i'm being honest the amount of times that i've listened to this album in the past week i was actively looking for things to dislike Mm -hmm. about it and i couldn't and that that's kind of frustrating it's it's like you said it perfectly man it's hard to find things like like i said earlier it's hard to find things to dislike about the album to criticize on the album like Everybody that came together, legends. Mm-hmm. You know, Michael Jackson's a legend. The writers, legends. Yeah. Quincy Le- Jones, legend. legend. All of the sessional musicians, legends. All of the people involved with the music videos, legends. Mm-hmm. Like it, and you know, he obviously had a lot. Like we talked about this, where you know, you you mentioned with in uh, in Billie Jean, him saying no, like the the 
this needs to be as long as it is. Mm-hmm. Even with him having so much control, he still had so many people that were so good at their jobs. Yep. Uh, yeah, this is, this is the 10 out of 10. It's this perfect is, oil machine. 10 yeah. out of 10 from us today. I'm fucking All right. on that. First 10. First 10. Um, well, I think that's the end of the podcast. Yeah, that's it. We uh, appreciate you. We appreciate you listening. Yeah. Thank you very much. And, uh, uh, uh salutations, anal constitutions. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this episode of Misfits on Vinyl, hosted by Spencer Streichert and me, Aaron Walsh, and of course, produced by Sam Sam the Tech Man, Sam Lindsay. If you like us, please rate us, subscribe to us, share us. Our socials are Misfits on Vinyl Podcast on Instagram and TikTok. If you want to send us an email with any suggestions or criticisms, uh, we love that shit, so send it away. It's misfitsonvinyl at gmail.com. We love you guys. Thank you.